We're going to be looking at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 in just a few minutes. Again, thank you all for worshiping. And uh, may God bless the reading and preaching from His Word. In one of the most empowering reminders, uh, maybe the most necessary reminder as well that you can receive each day, but one of the most empowering reminders that could change the course of your day is to be reminded that you are, that we are, a child of God. You know, you ever stop and think, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean that there is a God who is infinitely larger than our imagination, who is also personal, who is also a father to everyone? What does it mean to be a child of God? I think just a few things. It means we're chosen. It means that we have a belonging, that we belong to Him it means that we're valued, which is perhaps maybe the, the most revolutionary thing in, in terms of religion, in terms of a relationship between people and God or people and the gods. The fact that God values people, the fact that we're not commodities, but that we mean something to Him, that we're valuable to Him, that we have a price that He was willing to pay, that we're valued and that we're loved. Maybe that is the most necessary thing that we all look for and require every day, is to know that we're loved and to know that we have a purpose. To know that we have a place in this life, and to know that there's a purpose for us in this life. And there will be plenty of days, and I don't need to remind you this, but you know, and, and you can agree, there are plenty of days when you doubt your place. There are plenty of days when maybe you doubt your purpose. You may doubt how chosen you are. You may doubt or wonder if you belong anymore, if you've ever belonged. Maybe you question your worth. Maybe you wonder how much or who even loves you. But this title, this category, this reminder that we are, that you are a child of God, it speaks to those doubts and those fears that we all have. It tells us the good news. It tells us the best news, doesn't it? Coming to this reminder every day has the ability to warm your heart and to fill your soul. Coming to church every week, reading and praying and walking in the, the Word and, and, and the Spirit every day keeps us in check and it helps us to walk in step with our identity. You know, I think, I've been thinking about this a lot this past couple weeks. I think maybe coming to church every week and walking in this reminder every day, it's almost like going to your childhood home, maybe your parents or your grandparents, wherever you spent the most time as a child. And even if you don't have the best or the nicest memories or the best or the nicest story from when you were a kid, your home was your home, right? I mean, even if you moved around, right, home was home, and it was where those that you loved took care of you and, 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 and made you feel loved and valued. You know, I think that children, we, you know, we have the ability to, to, to remember things in a positive light, and, and the reminders that come from being um, home, a childlike mind can purify and make even the worst of scenarios uh, good and, and memorable, and, and children are optimists by nature. We learn pessimism. We learn negativity. So even if your childhood, in hindsight, wasn't the most ideal, in your memories, in your rearview mirror, it's almost like we all put on rose-colored glasses, don't we? Many of those memories about your home uh, are about your home and, 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 and what made home so special. Uh, there was a place for you there, right? Uh, there was a place where you knew it was, was yours and you always could, could turn to and find refuge in. And, you know, even after you moved out, you always knew there would be a place for you in that home. Even if someone else moved in, you would drive by and you can go visit and you can say, that is where I grew up. That is my home. 
You know, Jesus said something that we all know very well. He promised us something, which I think if Jesus promises, it's a pretty big deal. He promised in John 14, the night before he died, he promised, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to heaven, right? I go to prepare a place for you. Or I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. Now, we often imagine mansion to mean our own house, right? Our own private multi-story chateau in a big rolling hills, right? But I don't believe that promise is regarding our own house. I don't think it can be speaking of our own house. Because the promise begins with, in my father's house. That's one house, right? That's a big house. <laughs> but in my father's house. So I think that's a really important thing to know by that verse. We run to the mansion part because in our American mind, right, we, we run to the thing that we think is the most valuable. But the most valuable part of that promise is that in my father's house, there is a place, there is a room, there are many personalized rooms for every one of God's children. Quality aside, no matter how luxurious they may or may not be, what matters here is that God is saying to us, God is saying to you that in His house, there is room for us. In His house, there is a room for you. You hear that? Your Heavenly Father wants you to know what awaits you, what He's prepared for you, that in His house, you've got a room. And you know what that means? His house is our house his house is your house. Isn't that good? Isn't that, that, that changes the perspective, doesn't it? I'm sure all of you can remember your childhood home, your childhood room particularly. Whether you shared it with someone or not, no matter how big or small it was, no matter how often you moved, your room was your room. Wherever it was, whatever it was like, it was yours. The promise is especially heartwarming to me because as a kid, now I had a very privileged and fortunate and very charmed upbringing. So. But in my home, when I was a kid, I didn't have a room. I didn't have a room. Now there was plenty of rooms. But I didn't have a room. I was born into a pretty good sized house, but one that didn't necessarily have room for a third child. Now, how do you know, how do I know this? Because there was no room for me because there was no room for me. Right? <laughs> Now, y'all been there before, right? You know, I'm gonna ha we're going to have this number of kids. And then you have another kid, right? And you didn't have a house for a room for the kid. So what do you do, right? You just go find and make room. Now, the upstairs bonus room was occupied by Barbies and dollhouses. Um, and the 80s were, were over, but they were still rolling in the house, right? Uh, but, you know, so Simon Games, Nintendo, uh, Twister Boards, you know, cassette tapes, whatever you could imagine was big in the 80s. It was in that room. And it was a big bonus room, right? So you can imagine that uh, two girls were not really excited about giving up room, their room or making room for a little brother. But it was okay. For the first few years, uh, room was made for me here and there in this corner or in that corner. And eventually I took over the whole house. So around seven years old, somebody decided, hey, enough's enough. We need to put him in his own room. So for my seventh birthday... For my seventh birthday, half of the bonus room was turned into a bedroom. My bedroom. I'll never forget going into that room for the first time. Finally, there was a place for me. Finally, there was a room for me. My room. To this day, it's still my room. Now, when I was in college, still living at home, the other half of the room, the former playroom turned storage room, 
had swung back around to be in a playroom. Not for me, don't worry. <laughs> but for my cousin Elias and my nephew Kane. They needed a place to play. So why, what better place? Now, over the past decade, those two, and Kate and Liam, have spent plenty of time making that room their room. <laughs> making my room our room. You know, it's all about belonging, isn't it? It's all about having a place to call home and having a home to call yours. So today's a pretty special day for all the kids that have shared that upstairs room since the 80s. Stephanie and Caroline, Eric and Haley made a lot of memories in that room. Then they made room for me. And it was only fitting that room be made for the next generation to make memories of their own. I can't help but make a connection between that room and the room that God has made for all of us. The room he's gathered us into today. A picture of a bigger and better room. Now all of us may have taken different paths to arrive here today, but here we are in the same room, in the same house, together. Under God's promises, under the Father's roof, chosen, belonging, valued, and loved. Passing on this promise to the next generation, every generation, to every person we ever meet is such an imperative, isn't it? We can't assume everyone knows, but the best way to show them is to show them. Words can be misheard. Words can be muted. But showing someone that they're valued and loved and chosen is hard to ignore. And honestly, someone doesn't want to ignore that when you're showing them that. When you're showing them something that they need to know and that they want to know, their eyes open. And their hearts open too. By making everyone, by making everyone feel chosen valued love like they belong has the power to open hearts and minds to God's promises and that is our task that is our mission every day to make everyone we ever come eyeball to eyeball with feel like they are loved and valued and chosen that they belong because that is true for them as it was and is for you every heart longs to be known by his or her creator and when tethered to their creator eyes open and hearts enlarge and lives change the promise of God channels the power of God And that's how we all make it here. Now, most of you are familiar that half the New Testament was written by a man named Paul. Paul became a Christian as it it really began to take fire. And what most intrigued Paul about Christianity was how inclusive it was. How it made room for everybody, anybody. You have to understand the ancient world up until Paul's day, religion was very tribal. Every god was very territorial. Every nation had its own religion confined to its borders. Almost every nation believed that there were more gods than theirs. Most people believe that there are many gods, you know, that every nation had its own god. But somehow, somewhere up in the cosmos, all the gods were fighting against one another, and every nation's god was vying for power over the other. And, you know, you were stuck with the god of the nation you were born into. And hopefully, your god was stronger than the other god during this season of your life so that your nation may prosper over and against the other. And that's how they saw the world. But there was one nation that bucked that trend, and that nation was Israel. The Jewish people believed that their God was the only God, that there was no competition. 
And if you've ever read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the story of Israel's God proving his power and preeminence over the other nations and their gods. Now that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? That's kind of bold, and that's kind of brash. But that's the story. And Israel eventually became the heel of empire after empire playing who wants to be king next. And they fended off challenge after challenge, but eventually Rome took over the entire known world, and Rome sought to assimilate every nation to believe that their gods chiefly Jupiter, but all the gods beneath Jupiter, they wanted everyone to believe that their gods were greater than the others and that their god had defeated their god, so you no longer should worship your territorial or tribal god because Jupiter was the one true god. Caesar was his incarnation, so you better just adjust to this new world religion. But the Jews refused and held out faith that their god was truly the one and only god, and one day he would be heard from again. And then onto the pages of history steps a Jewish carpenter. A Jewish carpenter who claimed he was sent by God to save the whole world. The whole world. And maybe crazier than his profession was his proposal that he was sent to save the world. Not just Israel, but the whole world. Now, you have to know this. Rome claimed that they were ushering in world peace. Rome claimed that they were bringing the Pax Romana to the world. And really, this was just propaganda to cover up all the blood they were leaving behind with every nation that they were destroying that stood up against them. Rome promised, we're bringing your peace. We're saving your future. But they did so with a sword. And unlike Rome, Jesus would not save the world through conquest. He would save the world by a cross, but by His cross. This carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth, died on that cross and was buried and suspected to be forgotten by history, especially in a world where might made right. Sacrifice wouldn't cause anyone to be remembered. But His followers, hiding in fear of the Romans, were beside themselves three days later when in walked Jesus... They ran to the tomb and saw that it was indeed empty. Jesus had raised from the grave. He told them that this was just the beginning of their story and of the church's story. And for the last 2,000 years, Christians have held up the, the belief that Jesus' death washed away the whole world's sin. Anything that stood in the way between creature and creator was gone. Yes, sin still persists, but grace would be even more persistent. Never accepting defeat, never quitting, always believing the best about everybody. And Jesus' resurrection would send and did send the Spirit of God in every direction to make the reconciliation possible and personal. The church, emboldened by the Spirit, made their way to every tribe and every tongue. And leading this charge was Paul of Tarsus. He resisted Christianity at first because this notion that this God was moving larger beyond Israel was a little bit foreign to him. But the more he heard about it and the more that he himself realized his own errors and his own sin, he melted at the idea that God was welcoming the whole world into his family. And he convinced the church to sponsor his missions and they sent him off on a suicide mission. We'll never see that guy again. And then he returned year after year leading more and more people to know who Jesus of Nazareth was, the Messiah of the whole world. Along the way he made many disciples, but those who were Gentiles meant the most to him. And one of those was named Timothy. Timothy had been raised to trust in the Jewish God, being half Gentile, though he was an enigma to most Jewish circles. But thanks to Jesus, thanks to Paul, that stigma was washed away. 
Because God had made room for everyone. And everyone was welcomed, everyone had a place, and everyone had a room. Timothy was like a son to Paul, raised and destined to be a light for the kingdom from his baptism forward. Paul was full of inspiration and wisdom. God gave him to pin down what would be scriptures for the church. And maybe Paul knew, maybe he didn't know that his letters would be sent around the world and then eventually would be compiled into the book called the Bible and we would read them thousands of years later and know that this is God's Word. What we do know, though, Paul's final contribution to Scripture wasn't a sermon or a treaty to a church or this council, but it was rather a personal, fatherly letter to his protege, Timothy. In, that opening, in the opening of this text, Paul calls back to Timothy's upbringing and pays tribute while looking forward to how Timothy would carry this torch to the next generation. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my fathers, forefathers did. Without ceasing, I remember you in prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lewis and your mother, mother Eunice, I am persuaded it is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Paul reminds young Timothy, just getting started in his ministry, that he needs not get discouraged, though there be plenty of hardships. He need not forget that he is chosen, that he belongs, that he's valuable, and that he is loved. Paul is nearing the end of his journey. Timothy is just getting the prime of his. And through many dangers, tools, and snares, they both had and would continue to face. Paul clearly reminds Timothy and you and I that the lives we live are by the will of God and according to the promise of life in Jesus. Now don't miss that. Your life is God's will. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? People who are searching for God's will. We need to first realize that our lives, our existence was and is the will of God. We are sustained by the promise of Christ. No, we don't always get it right. No, we don't always know what we are to do or that we actually do it right. But we are sustained by the grace and the mercy of God. Whenever we fail, He doesn't. If God be for us, then who can be against us? If Christ stand for us, who can take us down? And Paul reminds Timothy to fan this flame, this gift laid on him, this promise. Now, is he referring to Timothy's call into ministry or something broader and wider and deeper? He speaks of Timothy, who had faith like his grandmother and mother, how this faith was laid on him through hands. And I don't, I don't think that this is speaking to some prophetic laying on of hands. I think he's talking about his grandmother and mother, who no doubt held him and prayed over him. They weren't prophets, but they were saints, godly women who loved Timothy and passionately prayed and taught over him. They reminded him that he was deeply loved and deeply valued and passed on and instilled this truth into his heart. Paul tells Timothy that the best thing he can do is to pass this on. The best thing that we can do is to pass on our faith. That we would have faith in God's will and God's promise. That clings to who God says we are and can be. That helps others see who they can be. Reminding people that God is good. His will is good. His promises are pure grace. 
In a world that has a lot of fires burning, may none burn brighter than the one behind the church. I ask you today, what are you most passionate about? As Paul says in verse 6, I remind you to stir up or to fan this flame. What kind of flame are you fanning every day? What sort of thing are you passionate for every day? I promise you this, if you or if we were ever to fully realize how passionate God is for us, we'd never settle for less than Him, His will, and His promises. He removes any and all reasons to ever be afraid. Verse 7 says He empowers our weary souls. He loves our broken hearts. And He directs our drifting minds. Verse number 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of this testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in these sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has called us and saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which he has committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, who dwells in us. Timothy had received this promise. Paul urged him to be a good vessel of this and use it for good and share it with everyone. Paul left a pattern, a track that we should all follow, fanning the flame of God's promise. In a world of lies and immorality, indecency and greed and selfishness, remember that we have passed from death to life. We have passed from darkness to light. We have passed from dread to hope. We ought to guard this promise with our life because this promise guards your life. In a world that pushes, takes, excludes, and shuts out, God's will and promise opens and gives and includes and makes room. What makes the gospel so rich and pure is that the room is where it is there whether we realize it or not, whether we use it or not, or accept it or not. But God is our Father and not a far away distant cosmic being, which is why He bids us to come individually. He bids us to know Him in this personal relationship where we realize the room upstairs we've seen and heard about, it can be ours. Chosen, belonging, valued, and loved, we can be His and we are His. We're going to celebrate four of God's children who have recently taken those first steps at realizing who they are in God's family. Before we do that, though, I would like to ask us all to sing and celebrate God's will and God's promise. This amazing gift of salvation that says once again, we are children of the Most High God. You know, God loves to celebrate over His children. And you know, if you think that you love to, and of course you do, your children, your grandchildren, imagine where you got that instinct from. Imagine where you got that desire and that heartbeat from. Luke 12, 32 tells us that we shouldn't fear not. 
for it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. You know, life itself is an overflow of God good, God's good pleasure, and the story of Israel is the story of God looking down at the nations, walking away from him, and deciding to raise up his own nation. He started with one man, and through that one man, he introduced the world to a nation, and through that one nation, he introduced the whole world to its one God. Of course, God's good pleasure and joy over the world was never met was never meant to have bounds or limits which is why when Jesus came and cast his vision for the church God's passion for housing and dwelling with all of his children was not lost but further emphasized the Bible tells us that every family every family in heaven and on earth is named after their heavenly father the church took this good news to the whole earth Boundaries were enlarged, borders were erased, and a kingdom for every tribe and tongue and generation was established through Jesus. So the family atmosphere of the old was not lost, but it was doubled down on. It was widened and redefined. We talked about Paul's passion within this movement, how suffering even seemed like it was worthwhile to win any to the Lord. Because it wasn't just a means of saving a soul for God, it was a way to celebrate over his child. On one occasion, Paul and young Timothy found themselves locked up in a Philippian prison when they sang praises to God all night long and saw the prison warden give his life and his whole family followed in coming to faith in Jesus. The scripture tells us that he and his whole family were baptized that day. You know, baptism was a way and is a way of symbolizing and celebrating entering the family of God. In the Old Covenant, you could not enter the temple if you did not wash your hands and prove that you were clean, even as a Jew. But in the New Covenant, Jesus washed away any that is unclean, any and all sin, once and for all, was washed away. And baptism is a picture of being washed away and made whole. Buried in his death, raised in his life, we are immersed into God's family, secure forever, based on what he did. In baptism, we confess we have surrendered to God's will. Why wouldn't we? In baptism, we celebrate we have accepted God's promise. Again, why wouldn't we? In baptism, we are accepted, we are sealed, and we are saved. In baptism, we walk into God's house, and he says, Son, daughter, this room is yours. This house is yours. You are mine. Today is a household celebration for of many different sorts for God's family, for our church family, but this is even more personal for me. Today is a baptism celebration for my family, and I've had the privilege of baptizing many of you, but today is definitely an extraordinary event. To pass this gift on, to formally welcome into the kingdom of God, to the church of Christ, my own family is the highest of honors. If my ministry ended today, I'd say I made it. I'd served a greater purpose than I could have ever dreamed of. Introducing and fanning the flame of the gospel towards my cousin and my niece and my nephews is too rich and too holy of a task for an ordinary person like myself. But alas, God is not least dependent on human greatness and shows this by using extraordinary people to do extraordinary things, to equip and instill gifts into truly extraordinary souls, his children. So thank you, Rhythm Church, for allowing me to relish in this moment. A moment I'm sure many of you will not soon forget. So without further ado, I would like to ask Elias to come.
come and join me in the water. Stand with me, you don't mind my Don't slip up here. Slippery. More slippery than you think. Alright, buddy. Just stand there with me if you don't mind for a minute. You know, Elias, God is such a giver. Life is such a gift. I remember about a week before you were born, your mom and I were riding in the backseat of my parents' car together to a funeral um, for our great aunt. It was surreal how close we all were as kids that you would be the first of a new generation to come into our family. As we looked back on memories, losing someone we loved, I never would have dreamed that our future would bring us here. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You've got an amazing family. And I pray that you always keep Jesus and his promise close to your heart. So it's my great honor and highest of privilege to now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in death, raised in the newness of life. You okay? Yes. To incredible circumstances. As someone who knows well the healing power of God, you bear that power too. And I pray that you never forget it's not normal. It is divine. I've passed on more to you than just the gospel in me. In many ways, we are a lot alike. Remember when the world says it's impossible, God says anything is possible to those that believe. You're living proof of that. And may you always keep Jesus and this gift he's given you at the center of your heart. So it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in death, raised in the newness of life. We're just getting started. Kate, which way is she coming from? Same way, okay. Don't jump in. Okay, growing up in the shadows of my sisters, I was constantly dragged to dance competition. And uh, after dance competition, listening to loud music. I'm sure that had a lot to do with me becoming who I am today, better or for worse. But just getting to relive some of those memories with you um, has been the best. You have talent to do anything, you have wit to charm anybody, and you have creativity to make anything you want. Seeing God stir your heart lately has taught me to doubt less and to trust more. He, he can do anything, and that's where you get your passion and your zeal from. So don't let anybody ever take that away from you or this gift away. Jesus has amazing plans for you. So again, it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, Buried in death, raised in the newness of life.
last but not least, we have a very special final child baptized. Come on, man. Okay, buddy. Liam, I can't imagine anyone that this could be any more awesome for. Maybe for you years from now, if you end up doing this. But years and pages of church history converge in these waters today. Different traditions and expressions and languages of our faith have taken form over the last 2,000 years of history. You'll learn all about those one day. But you and I have some blended strands in our souls. You were born into a Lutheran family, and my educational training is steeped proudly in Lutheran tradition and teaching. We agree far more than we disagree, and today, I think, is a handshake between Lutherans and Baptists that I believe will make the king and all of his kingdom smile. You know, Lutherans celebrate baptism in infancy, char charging families and churches to raise their child up under the promise of God to lead and to nurture them into a personal relationship with Jesus. And the church does that in a beautiful, faithful way. We Baptists, originally called the Anabaptists, by our Lutheran friends, we celebrate baptism following commitment to Christ, but whether the water carries the grace that opens the eyes or carries the grace that seals the soul, it's God who does the work. Amen. Today is a rare chance for us to retrace our roots and pay tribute to a tradition that brought us here together and to look forward to our future. You've got a lot of rich Christian history and heritage alive within you, and this is just another stuff, maybe a double portion for you. Confirming that you have a unique and special purpose in the kingdom of God. You'll always have that. And I pray you never forget it. So it's my honor, now to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in his death. Raised in the newness of life. You okay, bud? Yeah. All right. Yeah. They all, everybody comes up at different speeds. But we all get there. God is good, isn't he? Amen. May we all remember our baptisms. Martin Luther said, when you wash your face in the morning, you should remember that that water, that grace of God is what saves our souls. We may, may we all heed the, God, the goodwill of our God, the amazing promise of Jesus that brought us here today. If you have trusted him and saved here, I can't imagine why you wouldn't have. But if you have, I believe this time has been a refreshing and an inspiration to all of us as it has been to these children. God has shown them their room. He has made room for them all, for us all. Amen? So before you leave, I would like to ask Rex to come up on the piano and play a very fitting and final song for us. Sit back and enjoy, and you're dismissed at the conclusion of the song. Be, be sure to fellowship enjoy each other's company and the kids will be out to, to, to see everybody in just a few minutes. Thank you.